Hey everybody, I'm Chris. Hey, I'm Bill. Have you ever asked yourself, what is your superpower? Everyone has a superpower. Most people just don't know what it is. We're going to help you uncover it. This podcast is all about helping people figure out what their truly unique superpower is. Superpowers, what's yours? Hello and welcome to Superpowers. We are here in, in the midst of season two, Corona style, um, uh, here with my co-host, Chris Cunningham, and we have an amazing guest for us today. Chris, why don't you uh, do the pleasure of the intro? Take it away here. Um, welcome back, everyone, for Superpowers Podcast. We got our mug here. We got Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, it's a bit empty, but Deirdre, we'll get into that uh, being uh, uh, a, a love for barstool sports. We have uh, our friend Deirdre Lester, who's also um, a Rye local uh, where I live out in Westchester. Uh, we're going to learn all about her background, everything from her time going to school in Vermont. Um, Deirdre has spent almost two decades in media, um, predominantly in sports, so everything from Major League Baseball, Yahoo Sports, Whistle Sports, Always Sports, and a company called Barstool Sports, which a lot of people have heard of. So we want to understand, it's going to be exciting, Deirdre, to understand that path, uh, your boys, uh, your, your, your time in Boston, and some mutual friends that Bill and I both um, grew up with, obviously, uh, Erica Nardini. We're going to talk about your uh, your infamous, crazy, and fun-loving founder, and um, it'll be really fun to hear about Barstool Sports, most recently valued at four hundred and fifty million dollars, um, uh, pop culture, media, and sports uh, company. So that's a, a quick background of of our guests today, and can't wait to get into it. Hey guys, so, really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. It's amazing. Um, so before we get going. Talk about your everyday, right? So Barstool Sports, uh, obviously no sports going on. Uh, amazingly for Barstool, you have a whole other array of content. Um, but you personally, what, is, what what's your day like these days? You look like you're ready to go to work. You know, you look like well, you're... You guys gave me a reason to put a shirt on today that wasn't like a, a <laughs> running shirt, basically. Uh, but yeah, my everyday, uh, while, while it has changed and I'm working from home, obviously, I'm in my living room, uh, and even though I'm less than probably a mile away from Chris, we're not getting together to, to record this podcast because we're, you know, social distancing. Um, but that said, you know, my everyday has been incredibly busy. Um, you know, I'm getting up and getting going, you know, normal start to the day, um, you know, we're all, I have two young boys, uh, elementary school age, so get them set up wow. with their daily uh, school assignment, uh, figure out what they need to get accomplished and get their school day going. Um, but then my workday starts and it's full on. I mean, we are really busy still, um, you know, hustling. There's, there's a lot happening, which we'll I'm sure get into in the media business right now that's highly unusual, but also highly active. Um, yep. And, you know, one of the things that Barstool has done incredibly well in this situation is sort of pivoted and, and taken a lot of our regularly scheduling program and are broadcasting it from living rooms uh, and apartments uh, from people's homes. Uh, and then also creating new content that's really kind of capturing the minds and attention of people during this time. So there's a couple of different content series that are sort of been born out of uh, the quarantine or lockdown that we're in uh, that are getting huge audience and engagement. And so my team is like turning on a dime to 
one, work our existing partners into that content from a brand sponsorship and advertising standpoint. And sure. two, like go out to the marketplace and figure out like who is active? What are the companies that are thriving in this time? And if we have a relationship with them, great. If we don't, what's the appropriate way to go start one? Um, yeah. A lot of conversations having, you know, as, as somebody who's spent, you know, majority of my career in a sales capacity, what's the appropriate way to reach out to people right now without being insensitive, um, yeah. no, knowing that, you know, there are companies that need to be getting their messages out there, getting their offers out there, getting their products. So, so Deirdre, what, what we're hearing is Barstool is thriving in the pandemic. The evolution of the business is is kicked into a new gear, but no, it, it sounds like you guys have have uh, have really adjusted uh, in this environment. And and given that, and Bill and I were so excited when we were talking last week with with one of our guests on our show, we knew you were coming up this week and uh, thinking about media, uh, content consumption, both being barstool sports uh, consumers ourselves found it really interesting of like what what is the you know we're obviously they're going to dig in the state of the state of the business uh but i'd like to think uh that this is a, a good time can be a good time for you guys given your unique position yeah look i mean you're talking to me now or three weeks in here and we've really we've shifted gears uh you know week one and two were a little bit tougher because we do uh do do a lot of programming around major sports tent poles and march madness was canceled and all of yeah. our plans were canceled we had plans to be on the road we had plans to be doing a, a tour with our, our now investor Penn National to a number of their different casinos and then to also be in Atlanta for the final four. Obviously all those plans came apart immediately um, but we were able to go to some of those partners that were active at that time and say if, if you're still interested in having your message uh, to reaching our fans here's what we're doing from a content standpoint. We pivoted immediately. We have a daily show The Rundown that was before Barcel was brought to New York and, and the Sherman Group put us all in one office together, it was always broadcast over Skype. So in a way, it's kind of like back to our roots in terms of how we're creating content. Um, yeah. And it is definitely back to our roots in terms of Barstool was always meant to be an escape from your daily reality, escape from the constant noise of the news networks or the very seriousness of how, what sports broadcasting was becoming and yeah. be you know a fan-to-fan, peer-to-peer, entertainment platform and we very much are, are doing that we're not taking light of what's going on in the world but we are being our lighthearted, funny comedic selves in terms of the content and then you know from again from the brand's perspective a lot of them are figuring out and are pivoting also their messaging so we've there's a handful of our partners who've done some really cool things from uh hey you know new amsterdam vodka is a huge partner of ours for example right well, their sales are way up, but they had to yeah. shift their their messaging strategy. So we created a T-shirt with them to support your local bartenders. We sold over 5,000 T-shirts in, in one week's time to raise money for the U.S. Bartenders Guild. So we're kind of looking at our partnerships differently and having- You guys know how to, you guys know how to hack things uh, together. Deirdre, I got a question for you. Barstool Sports was started in what city? Boston. Founders from, founders from Milton, correct? Yes. Um, before we get going, Deirdre, by the way, we're also going to call you Chris Cunningham just because of the little box uh, under yeah. your name, um, but we're definitely not in the same house. Um, <laughs> why, is Bill, why does Bill have a Miami shirt behind him? Don't, doesn't that kind of offend, offends me a little bit? And he's my co-host and I love him, but 
We got this doll. We got Marino behind us. Didger, please tell me you're a New Yorker and you didn't grow up in Boston or you're not a Patriots fan. Well, because I might just I might just have to end this right now. <laughs> I am I am the only member of my household. I live with my husband and three two boys, and I'm the only non-Patriots fan in the house. But yes. um, I am surrounded by Patriots paraphernalia. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Good. Good. So, yeah. So unfortunately, unfortunately for me, uh, I've been a Miami Dolphins diehard Miami Dolphins fan since I since as long as I can remember. Uh, I grew up in New York, so it's not a it's not a Florida thing. Uh, I just uh, it's actually a, a, it's it's actually an embarrassing story, so I'm not going to tell it. But um, all right, I am going to tell it. So I had a, I had an NFL blanket, and I love the little dolphin, and I used to hold on to that part yes. of the blanket. And this is an uh, embarrassing story. <laughs> it's a, I can't even believe I'm doing it. I'm saying it, but and ever since I can remember, I was I like diehard and. And it's not a great team to love, like, you know, so I got my signed, my signed uh, Dan Marino jersey here. Uh, I'm in my man cave right now. So, you know, what are you going to do? You've gone from Billy the Dolphin to Billy Blockchain. I mean, this is an amazing evolution. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so Deirdre, I, did watch, uh, I did watch Ace Ventura Pet Detective this weekend with my kids. So when I saw it, I was just laughing. Classic, <laughs> classic, <laughs> classic movie. So, so Deirdre, Bill and I both uh, have known you um, uh, for for many years. You and I have obviously crossed paths many times. I would love to hear, you know, I think there's so much to cover here um, uh, with your journey, specifically in sports yep. and media. You're a, you've been a high rising female executive. That's never, that, that's never from my, my vantage has never sort of stopped just moving and shaking and growing. And I think there's so much, to understand about your journey, specifically how and when you got into sports. As you know, our show is called Superpowers, and our goal and objective uh, is to understand what yours is. So Bill and I always do our very best at the end of the show as we conclude to sort of, uh, we don't want to hear your opinion, you're going to hear ours um, as we kind of take it, take us through this journey. So. Um, you're from the you're you're from the New York area, Deirdre. You went to school in Vermont. Tell us a little bit about your background, uh, siblings, um, kind of growing up, um, and and um, yeah, just what what was what was your what was yeah your like were were you into sports like your whole life, like as a young Deirdre? Yeah, sure. So I grew up in New Jersey, uh, in in rural New Jersey, and also uh, probably spent half my life in New York, in in a little town called Breezy Point, New York, that you may or may not be familiar with. It's uh, a little beach town out in Queens, actually, uh, that's well known for being kind of really hit hard by things like 9-11 and Hurricane Sandy, but also a really big Irish Catholic community. Uh, so I think my life is kind of split between those two places. Um, I have two brothers, definitely uh, grew up into sports, watching sports on television, going to sports events, and also participating in sports. It's kind of what I did, what I know, and, and what you know I've always been into. Um, I uh, went to University of Vermont, did not play sports in college, um, but did a lot of like outdoor out, you know, in Vermont, as you would expect, we're, we're hiking, we're mountain biking, we're, you know, skiing and snowboarding and, and really taking advantage of the outdoors. Um, but yeah, sports is definitely in my DNA and, and definitely something I love. Um, it's not something though that, you know, when I came out of college, I didn't, um, I didn't study sports marketing or, 
um, endeavor to be in the sports industry. I actually, I moved to San Francisco right out of school. Um, it was the height of the dot-com boom. Uh, yeah. I, I was working at a hedge fund actually uh, for the first like nine, 10 months of my life. Uh, figured out very quickly that working in finance wasn't for me, uh, particularly at that time and stage in life, you know, working market hours in San Francisco was a real grind. Uh, I learned a lot in that job though, and it was really valuable time spent, but um, everybody around me was working at these amazing startup digital companies, whether that be the, the new yeah. publishers or uh, you know Yahoo or Snap at the time. Um, uh, the, uh, the opportunity arose for me to go take an opportunity in, at CNET.com, um, which was my first job in digital media. And I feel really fortunate to have landed in one of the like preeminent digital media companies. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I think in this world everybody's you know two degrees of separation from from CNET and Yahoo, and um, you know we got a great uh, we had great leadership there. We were pioneers in the industry from a content and content distribution standpoint, but also from a advertising partnership sales perspective as well. A lot of former Ziff Davis executives were really well honed, well trained people were there um, kind of leading us to be kind of one of the forces in the industry at the time. So um, that's how I got into digital media and I fell in love with it from the very beginning because it was so innovative and so new and it was changing people's lives and our so leadership. That you're like Bill and many of our guests were, were responsible for iOS kind of position as polluting the interwebs with, with 468 by 60 banners. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. And, or the, you know, we invented the 360 by whatever it is now, 200. Under <laughs> skyscrapers. Um, yes, yeah, yeah. Boiler room, kind of boiler room sales teams, and you know, teeny and and uh, and uh, it was a it was a fun it was a fun heyday. Did you you obviously you just kind of fell into it with with your CNET uh, background? Uh, your, totally your fell first into it. Yeah. yeah. Totally fell by into the, it. By the way, before there was Yahoo and AOL. Uh, and then eventually doubled at Google, et cetera. Uh, Ziff Davis and CNET were it. Like the people that came out of CNET and Ziff Davis all went on to do great things. Um, they were kind of like the first dot commerce. Um, yeah. You know, it's incredible. It's incredible. Because, I mean, they were covering tech before tech was tech, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm working right now with given everything that's going on with the 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 world we're living in. I'm talking a lot with the IAB, and it's just like reminding me and bringing me back to like those early days of like creating the IAB together as publishers and bringing the industry together to form standards so that we could scale and create a platform that you know would work across you know all of us, even though we might be competitors on any given day in the in the early days of the IAB, it was about if we wanna be an industry, we have to come together and create some kind of standardization here. So um, it was definitely a, a really interesting time to, to jump into the industry. Um, you know, CNET was a- Can I ask you, sorry, just a quick question. I wanna, before we get too far ahead, you grew up with two brothers. I wanna get a little bit more context of that part of your life. Um, where were were you the oldest middle were you a tomboy what did you and what are your brothers doing now you have this badass job chief revenue officer of barstool um tell, tell me a little about your brothers and your and what was it like growing up with them yeah so uh it's an interesting question as you try to unpack like a little bit about me uh um, i'm a middle child uh, my brothers are both four years older and younger than me so they're eight years apart and i'm set straight in the middle um, 
and uh, they we all are extremely competitive. So um, when I when I say we were into sports, we were really into sports. We were big into running. Uh, we went uh, not only run ran track and cross country and and played other team sports, but you know my dad was a big marathon runner. So we used to go on the weekends to different races around all over New Jersey and the New York area. And it was always about you know who was faster. You know oh when I was in fifth grade I could run you know, this fast in a, in a mile time. And, you know, we were definitely really super competitive with one another. That went on for a lot of years. I wouldn't say that's the case amongst us all now, but I'd say we all, it, it was something that I think all of us carried into the, the, mm -hmm. our lives, particularly me. It's, um, it's, ama it's amazing how many middle children we've had on here, Chris. I know. We, maybe it's we something should, we might have to dig into a little bit more. The, the middle let's call it the middle the, the middle kid are you guys middle the, kid? the middle i am um the second oldest of four so i guess i am the middle one of one of the middle yeah and i i have an older sister from my from my uh from one of my dad's three marriages um who most of them kind of crumbled so there's five of us so i have half brothers but one sister who's older got it yeah, that's a that's a, that's, a, that's a whole other thing to unpack. That's that's a whole other show. So yeah. so so what are your so what are your brothers doing? Now? Doesn't do that for me. I need some vodka for that story. Uh, what what are, older, what are your brothers doing? My older brother Paul uh, lives down in southern New Jersey, down by the shore. He works for Morgan Stanley. Uh, that's his day job. And then you know when he's not you know doing investment banking stuff is the way he would put it he's trying to do like more extreme things like uh he works with a he's partnered with a company called fly nyan which is like a helicopter company that does aerial tours of new york city and he takes uh aerial photos of new york so he's sort of like got that extreme athlete bone in his body that he's never been able to shake uh and then my younger brother is a chef in a restaurant in in westfield new jersey the town we grew up in uh, wow so yeah it's great Awesome. Is that, um, I'm sure, sure that's been impacted at this stage, right? Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. not working right now, um, you know, they're home. Yeah, yeah, Bill, Bill and I, you know, one, one thing for our viewers where uh, Deirdre was so, you know, for, for season one, we've, 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 we've had all these awesome conversations in our studio, um, obviously the, the personal component, but uh, pre-pandemic and, and uh, while it's still important to carry, we're gonna, you know, still carry these these interviews, uh, given the, the the new sort of state of the world. Um, it's important to also kind of talk about the realities that that come with it, and you know, those those, those people in our lives yep. that are that have been impacted, affected. So, uh, not normally part of the the I guess the content or the delivery of a superpowers podcast show, but certainly one to talk about when when relevant. Which one of your two brothers do you like more? <laughs> Neither. I don't really yeah. like either of them. By the way, she's a it's a middle child. The middle child doesn't like anyone. Right. Yeah. The middle child is out to prove everyone wrong. Right. Um, so, so Deirdre, so uh, at, at Vermont, you were a finance major. That's how you ended up in, in finance or were you? No, I actually studied uh, English literature and Spanish language, studied abroad in Spain, wow. uh, you know, basically came out of, while I loved everything about my college experience, I came out of college with absolutely no direction on what I wanted to do in life. I sat in coffee shops for four years, writing 
creative writing and uh, reading Shakespeare and learning to, you know, speak a little bit of Spanish. And yeah. I came out of school. I drove cross country. Uh, my best friend was at living out there at the time. So I got an air mattress and slept on her floor and waited tables uh, until I found a temp job at a finance firm as an executive assistant. And I ended up staying there for like a little bit of time. Um, until I ended up meeting someone at a party, actually a really dear friend of mine, again, a lot of connections to CNET in life, but a girl named Beverly Brennan, who uh, is uh, an old friend of mine, she was like, come work with us. We have like, we're hiring like 10 people a day. It's a great opportunity. You'll get in there, you'll learn. So I actually joined um, that, that job as the executive assistant to the head of sales at the time, a woman named Danielle Hawk. And I worked closely with her and Kirk McDonald uh, yeah. and some other folks that were uh, leaders on the, the team there. And then Kirk actually, Kirk and Carter Brokaw recruited me to come work in the New York office when it was just opening up. So when the whole bubble burst uh, in like 99, yeah. 2000, we were fortunate because we were the small office sitting in New York making money, you know, profitable, not a big cost center. Uh, so we were able to kind of maintain ourselves through like a bit of a downturn and, and then be there. Uh, to your point, you mentioned Ziv Davis when CNET actually acquired ZDNet. Um, yeah. And then we all kind of came together. Uh, yep. to and, and for, for of yours, uh, Carter, Carter Brokaw is uh, president digital at iHeart and uh, Kurt is uh, now CEO Xander, part of uh, AT&T, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 So to your um, never, point, people from CNET go on to do great things. Yeah. Did you, so you, you moved, you, I know you came in as an executive assistant um, and, and you had four years, uh, you know, at coffee shops reading Shakespeare. <laughs> Nothing there gives us any breadcrumbs as relates to sales and closing and, you know, owning a revenue number or whatnot. When did this transition uh, occur from, from kind of, when, when did you realize, like, did you know that you were, I know you was always being very personable and social. When when did you know that's something that you were going to be good at or you wanted to do, or did you did it just sort of fall upon you? So I mean, I look back; it's easy to see in hindsight that you know it was something I was probably always going to do. Uh, you know, my mom was a real estate salesperson in New Jersey. Um, her my whole growing up life, uh, she was always working. Uh, my dad worked in corporate sales um, in the packaging goods and. Uh, beer and spirits category. Um, And so I guess I was born into a family of people who are just natural people, people persons, right? And so um, I also, you know, all through uh, growing up, you know, was like I said, I was competitive and I was outgoing. So whether that was in sports or whether that was selling Girl Scout cookies, I always wanted to be number one. And so that translates really well into sales because it's just a competitive environment, especially um, you know, where I landed in sales, we were super competitive, um, you know, in the digital media category, uh, with our competitors and amongst one another, um, you know, CNET, uh, had a really rigorous training process and I was there as the executive assistant, like setting that all up. And I raised my hand one day and said, Hey, like, could I pitch in the, in the pitch contest at the sales meeting? I'd like to stand up and do that. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that I was able to do was skip a lot of rungs into getting into the sales track at CNET. I basically uh, went out on a limb and offered to jump into a sales pitch contest with some of the like most impressive sellers I've ever been around. 
Um, and I'm sure I fumbled. I wish I could go back and see a video of that. But yeah. um, that was a signal to the people around me, like, hey, let's push her forward, right? And I so love that. I, I just love that insight you shared again for for viewers and and for folks that are on their on their Bill and I talked to a lot of interesting people that that are you know share their stories as it relates to figuring out their career, which is always terrifying. No, most people don't know what they're going to do or how they're going to get there. So I think that's a that's a really nice story as relates to the, the 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 courage to sort of raise your hand and say you know fuck that I wanna I wanna get my pitch in as well um, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are in the room somewhere or have been in the room somewhere where they want to do that but they didn't bring themselves to do it and uh, it's 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 uh, it's a it, you know you're, unless you put yourself out there as you know you're never gonna get your, give yourself that opportunity. Yep. Yeah, I think another thing too, and and one of the, you know, as we're talking, one of the things that comes to mind is like, what are some of the pivotal moments in, in your career that you realize looking back were really, um, really shaped, you know, where you ended up or where you're going. Um, one of the harder things I ever did was uh, opt out of raising my hand for an opportunity because I knew it wasn't the right opportunity for me. And uh, it was when I was working at ESPN.com. Uh, digital was still managed like completely separate from sort of the mothership of you know the, the, the television business um, and when they brought us together they really had envisioned like that we would all be able to sell TV digital and, and dot com or magazine at the time ESPN the magazine was really really uh, successful and, and the industry wasn't set up for that and I knew it and I, I was like this is gonna backfire this is all gonna come unraveled and, and the head of uh, sales at the time there, the head of marketing was Ed Earhart. And Ed kind of looked at me and said, like, why aren't you raising your hand for a television sales job? There's a, there was one available. A lot of the people on the team were raising their hand and pitching for it. And it was a very competitive process. And he just didn't understand, given the success I was having on the digital side, why I wouldn't want to cross over. And I knew at the time that like long term, I wanted to be in digital, that I had this you know, base of digital media understanding that there was a lack of in the, in, the, in the whole media world and landscape. And while I came to ESPN to learn about other mediums and be close to TV and be close to print so that I could understand that better, um, I really wanted to, my heart was in the digital media category. And so I sat back for a little while there um, and then I began to look outside of ESPN, which is something not a lot of people were doing at that time. ESPN yeah. was like really a great place to be. Some would argue that you landed at some some incredible. In you landed at some incredible brands. I mean, uh, your you know your time at Major League Baseball and and rivals. It seems like you 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 stayed down that path um, in sales, in digital, um, and and whether you liked it or not, you you happen to be in kind of the sports uh, Chris, realm. Chris. I, I, I'd love to just take a stop, right, just for a split second, because it, it is interesting how some of the decisions you don't make are the most impactful decisions you you, you actually make, right? Um, in that, it, you know, back then, being able to sell ESPN TV was like the dream job if you're a seller in sports, right? Yeah. Um, the fact that you actually decided not to go for it because you knew you wanted to pursue this path in digital when you were kind of like the, you know, the second class citizen, if you will, you know, kind of the, the team off to the side, um, not material to the overall business. I mean, it's, it says a lot about, you know, either your passion or your vision. Um, so what was it? Was it, did you know digital was going to be 
the future or were you just passionate and said, hey, I know digital and I want to stay this route? Like, what was it? Was it passion or vision? I think both, but I, I also think it was opportunity to advance. Um, you know, I saw yeah. what was going on around uh, me at television was, you know, people get those jobs. They're great jobs to have. People stay in them for a really long time and kind yeah. of get, you know, in this cycle of doing what they know. Um, and I felt like on the digital forefront, you know, there was an opportunity to be a leader, uh, to be around entrepreneurs, to be entrepreneurial uh, with, you know, business partners. So I think that was something that got ingrained in me really early on um, at CNET. And then also just, you know, an opportunity to keep moving up and moving ahead and learning more and doing more creative things. So um, I actually left, uh, I, I also though, will say that once I got into sports, you can see from my track record, once I was in it, I stayed in it. And it was for yeah. a couple couple reasons. I love it. It's fun. Um, you get access to all the events and, and personalities and, and athletes. And um, it's a great business sector to be in. It's also, you know, when it comes to marketing and advertising, there's, in my opinion, no better way to reach consumers um, that are highly, highly engaged. So um, from from a business standpoint, it just made a lot of sense for me. Um, and so what I did was I was like, how do I take what I'm getting out of ESPN and what I always got out of CNET and find that in other places and be a leader there? So I actually went yeah. to Rivals.com, which was a small uh, college football recruiting site based out of Nashville, Tennessee. And they had a really great, you know, business going. They had a great technology platform. Uh, they had highly engaged fans and consumers. But they didn't really know anything about the digital media and advertising community. They needed somebody yep. on Madison Avenue to connect them to that world. Um, it was a huge leap for me. I was, you know, if I look back at that time, I was young. I joined a company that was based in in Tennessee. I had I had never been to a college football game when I joined that company, which is like a dirty little secret. Um, and I had to learn a lot really fast about that space, about that category. Um, yep. And I also had to be a leader to them. So I was flying down to Nashville, living in an embassy suites and going in there and educating them on like what I need to do and what I need resource wise to build a, a sustainable advertising business for them. It was successful within two and a half years. We were acquired for $100 million nearly um, by Yahoo Sports. Um, yep. But I then found myself again at Yahoo Sports, like hmm, cool company, not what I envisioned it to be very big, very bureaucratic at the time. Yep. Uh, sports wasn't, while it was big within Yahoo, it wasn't necessarily their priority, which um, was a challenge for me. Um, you know, And again, I just looked up and looked around and, and I was like, who are doing the most innovative things where I can bring what I do and what I know or what I feel I can bring to the table and pair that with sports and they're on the digital forefront. And to me, there was no question at the time, like Major League Baseball advanced media was way ahead of everybody in terms of live streaming, uh, a visionary leader that was, you know, creating more value for the league than they ever could have imagined. Um, it was, and yet the, the media business wasn't really running the way it could. And so it was an opportunity to get in there and really have an impact. So hey, I, want pause, I want to pause there because I, what, what I'm, this is beginning to see a little bit of a pattern, which is interesting. It's it, it's almost like you you obviously knew your personal skill sets. You had this I'm going to call it somewhat of an entrepreneurial spirit, but you you but you still understood with sports. It, you know you needed a large platform because sports is a large platform, both the medium and audience. So trying to couple your 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 knowledge, 
your experience within the right environment that allowed you to to grow that allowed you to kind of take all these learnings and insights and with with, with major league baseball I, I do recall that that period i'm thinking more more on the forefront thinking about technology you think about innovation if TikTok was around then they were probably on TikTok or they're on snap earlier um but yeah. it's really interesting that you you understood that sports was the the swim lane you have your kind of you know you, you have sort of your your uh, your superpowers if you will from a sales and media executive but you had to find the right platform and I'm really excited to understand post major league baseball how barstool came about as well and also, what did you cross paths with Erica Nardini at Yahoo or no? No, we actually never crossed paths. Uh, and it's That's funny. strange because we... Have you met, have you met her yet? <laughs> oh, yeah. Erica Nardini is the, is the CEO of Barstool Sports, right? Yes. Yes. Um, but yeah, just um, one thing that I think, um, you know, we're talking a lot about like path and, and career path and, you know, my, it, until that point that we're, we've discussed so far, it was always about like getting ahead and getting in the front and being at the top of the, the you know, being the leader on the team or being, you know, the top billing sales rep or whatever it was. I will say this, and I think this is an important thing that I talk a lot about when I get invited into when I have an opportunity to speak to whether it's, you know, young people or, um, you know, particularly now with um, a movement around advancement for women in leadership positions or even women yeah. in sports business. Um, I actually took a break. I, I did, I did slow down. I did actually stop Chris. You might not have realized cause you were run, running a million miles an hour, but I, I actually, um, I was at, MLB for about three and a half years and then my husband had an opportunity to go abroad and uh, work in Europe uh, for a limited amount of time for about three years and I took that time off um, I stepped down I uh, as hard as it was because I loved MLB still do and all the people there that I worked with were terrific and so many of them are great great friends of mine to this day um, you know, I, I saw an opportunity to kind of get off the fast track, which was a really hard decision for me. It, it was something that weighed really heavily on me for years after. Um, just, you know, so much of your personal persona Brand. is wrapped up in, in what you do for a living. Um, yeah. And so to to step down from that was a real challenge for me. Yeah, but where were, you, where were you at that stage? Were you married? Did you have, were kids on the, where, yes. where, where, where was your family at this stage of your life? Yeah. So we we moved with one son who was two at the time, uh, and it was part of the decision was just I was moving a million miles an hour. I was at baseball games in different cities like three nights a week and gone for the entire month of October, and uh, that was challenging. Um, and so um, for me, the um, sorry, just a little distraction here because my <laughs> charger is running out, and I don't want to lose you guys. Um, so. Uh, for me, it was an opportunity to kind of get off the fast train and reassess. Um, I took the time. Once I was in Europe, I decided it made a lot of sense to live like a European for a little while. Uh, give me one second to pause here, guys. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's actually... Computer charger. Computer. It's, it's actually interesting because Deirdre and I actually yeah. crossed paths at Yahoo, uh, even though I, I never met you. Uh, so I, I sold a company called Rate Media to Yahoo in, oh, early, yeah, yeah, yeah. in early 2007, right before Rivals, actually. Yeah, that um, was right, right at the same time. Um, yeah. And actually, I actually say, like, one of the reasons that 
uh, Yahoo wasn't for me is because immediately after the acquisition of Rivals.com, they acquired Yahoo, uh, right, right Media and sort of pivoted their whole strategy towards that business. And that became the, the biggest priority. And yeah. as a Rivals executive, I just felt like I don't know anything about that. And I'm yeah. not not really my world of interest. Interesting. Um, but so interesting. Yeah. That was a crazy Ooh, time. I mean, crazy that time. Was, Andrew, what was the um, what was what was what, what were the best highlights uh, from your European experience? I, I'm gonna assume it wasn't like picking up chain smoking or drinking 17 cappuccinos a day. I was born in Finland. I have a, a, a Scandinavian European perspective, probably less kind of classic American. I, I think that's always suited me well to kind of how I see the world. And my wife is British, and our, so our kids kind of had this different balance. What was your what did Europe what well, what did your time there offer you and your family, um, either personally or now professionally? And, and where were and where were you based out of? So we were in London, um, yep. right in Notting Hill, Holland Park area. It was amazing. Um, you know, for me, shabby, again, shabby, shabby zip code, I hear. Notting Hill. <laughs> yeah, right. I was. It was not bad. It was not a bad setup. Um, you know, for me, it was a couple things like one, like I said, it gave me a, I had been on this fast train for so long and not really ever thought about stopping and really thinking about bigger picture, longer term, where do I want to be and how, where do I want to end up? Family was becoming like so important. Obviously I had a young child. I wanted to grow my family. I didn't really know how to do that as a working mom. Um, and, and it's something that I, you know, I really empathize with, uh, women for, because, you know, you may want to keep going in your career, but you also want to be. A wife and a parent too and and never by the way never mind take care of thinking about yourself <laughs> on a personal level too so for me it was a lot of like just time with my family we had our second son while we were living there which was an amazing experience and also um you know europeans do slow down they do take more time off uh, they do give you know women more yeah. time off when they have a child so I got into these like mommy groups of like all these international women who were also ex expats who were a lot of them going through a similar thing as me had moved over there um, and kind of lost a sense of identity, but we're creating a whole new identity together, but they had a different perspective. They weren't, you know, from the tri-state area, they were from all over the globe. I had friends from New Zealand, Australia, Spain, Italy, France, you know, obviously England. Um, you know, uh, Holland, you know, all over. And so we would sit and talk while we were in the park playing with our kids about, you know, how do you guys celebrate different holidays differently? Like Christmas would come up and we'd all be telling different, you know, how we all celebrate things differently. So it, it was really, it opened my mind to the world. And it wasn't the first time I lived abroad. I had been to Spain in college and, and traveled all over Europe. But living there as like an adult with a family and responsibilities and children was definitely uh, something that um, was really life changing for us. And what an um, interesting and exciting challenge. I mean, you can't you couldn't even script that um, and, and what that offered all of you guys. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. We had a great time. Uh, we were called. We came back about three years into the, the experience, which was bittersweet because we were sort of hitting our stride there and really made some great friendships. But the other thing it really made me um, appreciate is home um, and more than ever now this week, you know, and this month yeah. um, being near family and friends, you know, you realize you don't realize how much you miss it until it's not there for you. And when I was in Europe, I will say like missing the birthday parties, missing my nieces, you know, yeah. 
first Holy Communion party or whatever it is, like little things like that were, were harder and they're harder now as those things are being like canceled or put off till a later date, like get to be determined. Um, Deirdre, so. when you were, when you were um, getting to know these groups, um, these other expat kind of mom groups, could you ever envision where things are today and sort of the forefront of, of women women leadership and kind of how society has finally embraced where we should have been bill and i've had some amazing guests on yeah. our show ali wyatt girl boss and susan ho uh, founder ceo yeah. of journey just incredible senior leaders and you know and there's obviously incredible companies that are kind of spurring this up like hey mama mom communities etc could you have even envisioned what what that world looked like back then when you're, you know, spending time with these groups or even during your CNET days, as far as kind of how the world has changed. Um, yeah. So I'll say this, um, and I say this a lot. I didn't know that I was ever at a disadvantage in my career until this point, until I had a kid and I had to start making some decisions yeah. about, oh, I, you know, can't go out for you know, five nights a week to entertain clients anymore. I have to go home. I have to be, you know, present in my family. Um, I, honestly, I, I really, like, I, I worked my way up. I, I worked really hard. Uh, I was never told I couldn't do something. I was raised that way. I was given every opportunity that my brothers were given. I was given every opportunity in the companies I worked in. And then I got to this point where I'm like, now I'm, I'm making hard decisions. But the, yeah. the nice thing was to meet other women that were also making those decisions and hear how hard it was for them too, because I realized, oh, wow, okay, this is something that's going on, not just in my mind, but in a lot of people's women's minds. Um, and then there was this constant talk of like, will you go back? Like when you go back home, will you go yeah. back to work? Um, yeah. And I kind was of- there, Was there ever a question on if you're gonna go back to work? Um, you know, I I would say probably there were moments, but when I got back here, I actually um, tried to go it on my own. I tried started a consulting firm. Uh, I set up an office actually here in Rye over at Serendipity Labs. Shout out to them. They got me out of my house and kind of thinking um, about business again. Um, and Love I Love signed it. on a, signed on a few clients, and I did that for a really short amount of time about nine months and then uh, my big client was Whistle Sports and we were kind of riding this wave that at the time was like the influencers were on the ride, the YouTube creators were on the rise. Uh, we had we were representing all of these amazing content creators in, in sports and there was an opportunity for me to jump in back in full time with them and so I did that. Um, Got it. But yeah, it didn't take me long from getting back to New York. And, and again, again, so much of my personal life is tied to my professional life that I just yeah. was like right back it's in. I actually think that's a story that like, people like to hear that story because I think people are afraid to take that little bit of time off. And I think there's probably a point where it becomes really hard to go back. Um, yeah. I don't know what that point is. But for me, like three years off living abroad, it didn't slow me down. I'm right back yeah, I, I, where I, I was when I left. I, I think um, the market is moving so quickly um, and and it happens in certain increments where, you know, if you miss one wave, all of a sudden you're kind of, you're part of like the legacy um, and you never want to be part of the legacy. But I think because you were in digital, you took three years off, you were able to get back. It's, it, it says a lot about you. Um, and And it's actually something that I think women overall who want, you know, type A women who want to succeed, um, you know, but also you're also type A with your family. 
So you want to have, you want to be the best wife, the best mom, uh, but also have an amazing career. It's probably the thing that's talked about the least um, and, and something that uh, I'm sure following this podcast, a lot of people are going to want to reach, a lot of young women are probably going to want to reach out to you. And we appreciate that. I mean, yeah, it's t- intimidating. Like, I won't, I won't pretend that I didn't have moments of like, what are they talking about? Like, while I was away and really not paying attention to the world and pretty disconnected from the media industry for the large part, I will say like a lot evolved. And when I jumped back in, people were talking about YouTube as a business in a way that I wasn't used to. And I was like, okay, well, yeah. what are you talking about? Um, and then, you know, there wasn't even, uh, Instagram wasn't even a thing then it was vine was the big thing. And I'm yeah. like, what, what is vine and who are these people that are making this, this content and why does that matter? And it did, did intimidate me a little bit at first, but you know, kind of just get in there and be, be inquisitive and surround yourself with the young people that are the, the consumers of that content or the creators Deirdre, of that content. Deirdre, how, how did you get whistle sports to be a client? Was there someone working there that you had worked with in the past? Uh, I was introduced by Major League Baseball. So one of the things I did when I came back from uh, the UK was uh, reach out to uh, Bob Bowman and Noah Garden, who were, you know, my bosses at MLB. Uh, MLB Advanced Media had a lot of investments in smaller digital properties. And so my idea as, you know, a consultant was, hey, I think there's a lot of companies out there that I could help. Um, And so when I sat down with them, uh, and Jeff Volk, who was on their business development team uh, and is a good friend of mine, they kind of looked at like, well, here's the roster of people that have been in to pitch us recently. And you know what? Uh, Jeff Urban, who uh, was a former head of sports marketing at Gatorade and started Whistle Sports, uh, would be a good person for you to talk to. So it was really networking, leveraging the connections I had and the people that you know knew what I was capable of to say, hey, I'm back. I want to get back in. Um, I'd like to yep. do something entrepreneurial and i know you guys are connected to you know the most entrepreneurial companies in the business and also a note to everyone to not burn bridges so when you leave a company how you leave is probably more important than how you come in and and your time there uh because you never know when you're gonna you know need that network so So let's um totally agree bill let's um so so when did you hear about the pizza review when did you hear about this thing stirring up in boston or this uh uh david or was it erica talk to us a little bit about your your time at barstool and your experience well uh, no even before that did you reach out to barstool or did barstool find you they found me um they came to me, uh, Erica reached out to me, actually. We, uh, we have some mutual connections. She was looking for a CRO, uh, someone who could really, they had a, a pretty good foundation of advertising business to be to already, which is one of the yeah. reasons I went there. Um, but um, uh, I've been at Barstool about two and a half years now. Okay. So she's going to get 2018, I went there. Yeah. Um, but Erica reached out to me. Uh, we had some mutual connections who, Uh, when she explained what she was looking for, uh, had thought of me, um, the role made a lot of sense given my background. Um, I had been watching Barstool sort of as a fan, but also as someone who's watching what are the, you know, media companies that are coming to the rise uh, that are sort of the the challenger brands, right? You know, whether it was Rivals, Whistle, even MLB to a degree at a time, we were the challenger brands. And I've always had my eye on Barstool as as a big rising star in the industry. Um, and then just once you start following Barstool, it's almost like 
you it's just addicting. It. Most, you either love it or hate it. And if you love it, you're, you're addicted. Yeah. So um, I was following Barstool. Well, one of the things that really struck me um, when Erica called, I, I, I told her I could come in to meet with her, but I couldn't come in the office because I knew that there was cameras everywhere. And if they ever caught me on film, just even in the background of something that everybody would know that I had been in there and would wonder, is she interviewing for a job there? Um, so we met in like at a restaurant for coffee and we talked and then I went back to my desk and I was sitting there and um, I noticed something all of a sudden. I noticed that all of the millennials that worked on my team, the younger people, the, the 20 somethings, the 30 somethings were all like hardcore into Barstool in a way that I hadn't noticed previously. I noticed it was what they were sharing on the weekends when they were going off to the shore or you know the Hamptons. It was like all about Saturdays are for the boys. I noticed that they were like wearing the merch uh, and it was like a badge but of honor. By the way, you, you know what I like that too is is when you're in the market for a car and you go look at a car, then all of a sudden every car you pass is the the car you just looked at, which you don't really oh, yeah. notice, you know. So yeah, that's incredible. Like, that happened to me the first time when I had my first son. I remember I was pregnant and I was working in Chelsea Market, and I'm like, I see strollers everywhere. Like I never yeah, noticed yeah, yeah. a stroller in my yeah, life, yeah, and now that yeah. I'm in the market for one. I see the stroller people, but yeah, no, I, I think, um, you know, it was eye opening for me. I, I wasn't necessarily looking to leave whistle sports. I was in there for the long haul. Um, and then, you know, it just became a pivot point for me. I was, I was kind of moved on. I was going to do something different and this opportunity presented itself and the timing couldn't have been better. Um, and so it worked out really great. Um, obviously, you know, it, it was, it's, you know, it's great. Erica's an amazing person to work for, uh, the opportunity to work with her and alongside Dave and what he was had built was really incredible to me. I was very impressed uh, given what's gone on in the last two years in digital media or last five years in digital media. The fact that Barstool was a company that was built off of like the back of just like hardworking people, Dave's um, creativity, his relentless drive to build the company, never having taken on any uh, investment capital uh, and got it to the point they got it for Sherman to come in and, and you know make yep. the investment they made was really remarkable to me and that it wasn't overcapitalized and we weren't going to be under this constant like investor scrutiny of like we need you to be a 300 million dollar company tomorrow despite the fact that our recent valuation is 450 million dollars and I believed it could be I just didn't think we needed like all that that these companies have taken on way too much weight um, and not grown at a, a pace that's reasonable uh, or sustainable. Um, and you see that with a lot of the peers in the industry, uh, yeah. you know, the perfect storm here, right? So the leadership is number one, right? You're not going to go work for anyone who isn't fantastic, because why would you, given your background? So that's Erica. You have a sports business. It's more kind of pop culture media. I'm curious to see how you sort of present it. Um, but it's an entrepreneurial company. It's it's somewhat of a, you know, it's, I'm not calling it a startup, but you basically don't have sort of the this legacy challenges of being creative or whatnot. Um, did you have any, were there any sort of considerations as relates to the, like what the brand stood for, the level of content or things that you liked or didn't like as you were kind of thinking about it or talking to your husband or friends, if, you know, when you were sort of in the consideration process? Because like you said, you love it or you hate it. 
Yeah, I was, I'm at a point where, you know, to your point, I'm not going to go work somewhere where I don't have like the ultimate respect for the leadership there and don't believe in their, their capabilities and, and what they're, you know, that I'm going to learn from them as much as I can bring something to the table. Um, so at this point in my career, I definitely like took a long pause. Is this the right next step for me? Is this the place I want to spend the next five, 10 years of my life? Um, and are these the people I want to work alongside? And, and do I believe in them? So I talked to everybody. It was probably the most well-checked out job I've ever taken. Yeah. Um, I, I reached out to you know anyone that I could find a mutual connection with with Erica, uh, both personally and professionally. Um, you know, her husband went to Colby and was roommates with a an old friend of mine's husband. So I was calling like, hey, talk to me about that this person, this woman. That how come I've never met her? Um, and, um, also the business of Barstool, the content of Barstool, you bring that up. It's a great point. I mean, you know, this is a brand that, you know, right or wrong has been highly scrutinized for, um, and, and miscategorized in a lot of ways. Um, and I just had to grapple with like, can I go out and represent this brand effectively? Can I be successful here? Um, I reached out to all of my former leaders, right? You know, whether it be from baseball, from ESPN, from rival, mm -hmm. Shannon Terry is someone who I consider, you know, a true mentor um, to get their perspective. And I was very uh, pleasantly surprised that all of them were basically run, don't walk to that opportunity. That's a great, yeah. great rising star company. Uh, Shernan backed, really great reputation. Uh, again, but not the, over. Where I was going with that is that that balance of it's one thing to have the pro, like it's there's no d doubt that the product or the content is authentic, and I think Barstool is certainly ahead of this rise of everything is around authenticity. So I think you time that brilliantly. But the, where which I alluded to, but the other side of it is you sell you sell shit. So there's a difference of like mm -hmm. it makes sense for the consumer, you know, the consumer side, but will brands buy it? And it sounds like part of your I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but part of your diligence was very much like, "Hey, do Doesn't you work. believe in this business? But are you gonna, are you like gonna buy, like you gonna buy my inventory?" Yeah, well, look, not just buy my inventory because like that's a lot of what everybody else is selling, right? Is media yeah. spots and dots. Uh, frankly, in a world where you can buy followers, you can buy views on social platforms, and there's a lot of fake, fake views out there. I needed to know that if I walked into a client's office or, or you know, a marketer's uh, was willing to take the time to sit down and, and hear me out about why they should consider Barstool Sports, despite what they might think about the brand or have heard about it in the past, that what we sell is actually going to work for them. We're not we're not here to just make you know money for Barstool. We're actually here to help drive results for our partners. And yeah. when I saw the level of engagement that the fans had yeah. uh, and the the, the the realness and the authenticity of the way we integrate the brands into our content. I just believed it could really work. And I, I, I saw a vision for not only the direct-to-consumer, direct-response brands that were kind of what the foundation that Barstool was built upon, but that we could go to that next level of like blue chip advertisers and get in with some of the, the bigger companies that really need to reach these young consumers and don't know how to do it and are looking for advice on how to reach them. And so we've, you know, we've worked with Pepsi, we've worked with Kraft, we've worked with Philips Norelco and uh, Gallo are one of our largest partners. So Anheuser-Busch was already there when I came in and we've continued to grow that partnership. So, um, you know, I just really saw like a, a real strong fan engagement. Also the ownership of like, 
IP that Barcel has is really unique, right? We're not just creating branded content for the sake of the advertiser. We're actually creating franchises that have, whether it be born out of a podcast or born out of an Instagram show or a Snapchat show, they also have a line extension into e-commerce where people are wearing the brand, a hat, a t-shirt, a hoodie, yeah. uh, you know, a tailgate uh, kit or whatever it might be. Um, they have, you know, we've really sort of created an omni-channel presence for a lot of our top franchises. And that's something that's really unique that, that we do. And we actually pull our brand partners into that in a lot of ways. Hey, Deidre, so, uh, so you're interviewing at the end of like probably 2017. Um, I think most people who think of Barstool kind of think men. Um, and I think to a, a lot of our viewers now, they may say, wow, I didn't realize that the CEO of Barstool is a woman. Now the woman responsible for all revenue, the person responsible for all revenue is a woman. Like, um, talk to me about those dynamics. Um, and also how big was the sales team in 2017 when, you're in, when you were interviewing and how big is the sales team today? Yeah, I'm not sure exactly. I'll answer the first question first. I, I think the sales team was about six or seven people when I came in. All in now, we're about 33 people, including wow. sales, you know, marketing, yeah. um, sales support, and sales ops. So you know, it's it's a full organization now, not just a bunch of salespeople running around with a PowerPoint, the same PowerPoint, but really yeah. a, a full, uh, flushed out sales organization. Uh, the, the female part of it, yeah, I mean, that was a big factor um, coming in was, you know, it is a, a male-oriented brand. But to be honest, like, look where I've look where I've worked. I've only worked in sports media yeah. companies that were all male-dominated. And like I said earlier, it didn't phase me ever. Um, it's partly how I grew up, and it's how I live now. I'm in a house of boys. So um, to me, that's a that's probably a more comfortable environment than to go, try to go work at, like, Refinery29, yeah. where I wouldn't know what to do with myself. Is, so, do you have a dog, and is the dog a boy? I don't have a dog. Okay, no. but if you got a dog, it'd probably be a boy. I grew up with a dog. He was, it was a boy, yeah. yeah um, so, so, yeah, what? so for me, it was, uh, it made sense. But I, what I will say that about that is, um, and Chris, you alluded to this, like Barstool as a brand has really expanded. Um, yeah, and it, it was has. always, it was always more than sports. It was about sports and pop culture and what's trending on the internet today and like just what guys talk about. But we've really expanded that now to what, like, everyone talks about and everyone within a certain demographic essentially we are very focused on that kind of 18 to 34 year old demo although i would say we span way beyond that older and younger um but you know we have launched female shows in the last two years that are some of our top growing shows uh in chicks in the office yeah. uh schnitt talk call her daddy like call her daddy is one of the top podcasts in the country for women um so you know that's been really awesome for me because it kind of was yeah. unexpected you know I remember when those the chicks in the office girls Rhea and Fran were there when I started and um, they were really the only females on the content team and then they started to bring in some sports personalities like Casey Smith and Liz Gonzalez and it was great to see like sort of women kind of quote-unquote infiltrating the content and becoming part of the show yeah. Um, and, and then also launching their own shows um, uh, as an aside to that. So you guys have um, the model that can be replicated. Uh, Deirdre, what's your what's your best uh, interaction or, or, or story with Dave, your, your founder? I'll tell you mine. Um, at the Super Bowl two years ago, uh, I think. Oh, I know yours. We've all Bill, seen your moment. <laughs> and, I, and I have a you know, I still have a bone to pick with them, which was, you know, filming that infamous video 
of him getting pulled out of the Super Bowl. And Frankie, his camera guy, I mean, not a tag. I mean, like, no you know, for you? Yeah. I could have gotten a thousand, you know, a couple thousand new followers on Twitter or like something, Deirdre, and you know, I'm insecure there. So like, I could have used all the help <laughs> I got. And I, he blew it. No love. I got the video. He's on CNN the next day. That, that's my story. <laughs> What's yours? Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. That's a pretty big moment um, from, the, you know, inside the time I've been inside of Barstool, Dave getting dragged out of the Super Bowl. Um, you know, for me, it's, you know, I, I work around such incredible talent. And one of the things I love about being at Barstool is we're all together. Not right now, unfortunately, um, mm. although we are staying pretty close. But I would say, like, being able to just, like, walk downstairs and talk to the, the creative talent, whether that be Dave or whether it be another personality that we're working on a project with, um, it is incredibly valuable. And it also is what helps us stay nimble. So, to the degree that we can all stay together um, and work really closely, I think we can continue to do amazing things and do it at such a rapid turn that you know our competitors can't keep up with. Um, yeah. But my fun story about Dave um, is, I'd say this one is one that always stands out to me. Uh, 2019, uh, NASCAR actually approached us. Uh, they had decided that they were going to, you know, invest in a marketing campaign, a big, pretty big one, um, and uh, that they needed to grow their brand and, and make some investment around the NASCAR brand as well as reach new fans and find new consumers, both younger and in non-traditional NASCAR markets. Um, and so we pitched them a big partnership and they bought in and they were all sold in. And then Dave, when uh, he kind of learned that it was all coming to fruition, uh, went on a rant on radio uh, saying he didn't want it. He had knew, he knew nothing about NASCAR. Why was the sales team sending him down to Daytona 500? He doesn't know oh, anything okay. about NASCAR. Uh, he was making fun of the drivers, making fun of the fans, using the word redneck. And uh, it was hilarious and probably brilliant <laughs> on his part and probably planned. But, um, you know, for me, I was like, ah, this is like our big partnership that we just got into. So I need you to kind of like either be in or out. Um, and what I love about it is Dave has le legitimately or e either legitimately or he's really good at acting, become one of NASCAR's biggest fans. And yeah, 100% he is, yeah. One of the biggest influencers in and around the sport right now. Yeah. Um, he has launched a NASCAR podcast called Robin is Racing that's hugely successful as it's getting off the ground in a season where there's no racing going on. Um, yeah. He's partnered partnered up with Clint Boyer to co-host that podcast. And those two are just like the perfect two personalities to bring together. So, um, and now while they're kind of, you know, not able to pull their races together, uh, they're doing iRacing on the weekends and airing that on Fox and Dave's promoting it. And so for me, it was just like the, I was right moment, you know, because right. the, the amazingness of the both understanding NASCAR eventually also lean in on gambling, which I knew was higher, you know, very sort of uh, questionable um, and, and understanding that there is a future there. He the, the, just seems very, the, the brand itself, Dave, leadership, um, Barstool continues to see, be very ahead of kind of where the, where the puck is going to be, so to speak, given that we're, we, we yeah. are, and we're in hockey families, Deirdre. Bill, one thing you should know is uh I get to run into Deirdre every once in a while here in town um, at the at the skating rink when we're in season um, with our boys, both both playing in Rye Rangers. Um, there you go. Yeah, a couple. But the, the only story uh, that 
she, I don't know if you remember this one, Deirdre, we were, we were both coming in. I kind of caught your attention. I was talking to you right when one of your sons was getting his hockey bag out of the trunk and you may have been shutting the trunk on his head. That, that yeah, may yeah. have happened. I did, that did <laughs> yeah. happen, yeah. But listen, it's, it was probably at like 4 a.m. because you hockey nuts got up so early. It was, it was a little a too early for me. Yeah. They have wonderful boys, yes. So, so yeah. by the way, my, my El Presidente moment is I was in Saratoga uh, with my best man the week before my wedding, um, and I was sitting in front of him. Um, so I, I, and I know he, he gambles a lot. So I was listening in, and, I, and, and for the first race, he picked a trifecta, so I just put it in, and I won a ton of money. So, so then that was my strategy, which was just to like listen. He didn't know I was doing this. I was just kind of listening in. And then for the next like nine races, I, I just bet what he bet and I lost all nine. Um, so then on the 11th race, I started betting against him and I started winning again. So like, uh, and then I asked to take a selfie with him, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, he's, he's, uh, and I love pizza. So I love, uh, El president is great. Hey, I have a question. You have two boys. So since you started at Barstool Sports, um, have your boys, uh, has their popularity amongst their friends increased because their mom is the cool mom who works at Barstool Sports? That is an interesting question. So I would say um, may have decreased because before Barstool Sports, I was representing Dude Perfect. You have to keep in mind the ages of my son. Oh, yeah. There you go are 11 and, and seven. And so uh, with two boys that watch YouTube and, you know, like there's no tomorrow, uh, the the lack of the, the losing access to uh, the Dude Perfect team was, was a bad it. moment for them. Uh, so much it. so that I took them last year to the Dude Perfect show uh, when they came to New York and got them backstage to finally meet the dude. So for, for a long time, it was like the cool mom on the soccer sidelines with all the little boys. I think it's more the hockey dads that think I'm cool now, right? It's, yeah. the, it's, it's the spin chicklets followers. It's the, you know, pink Whitney drinkers. You know, they, they think I have access to something that they love. So it's, to. it's basically like the weird guys like Chris, um, you know, which is, like which, think you're cool. Which is the story of my life. By the way, the dude perfect thing is I, for, for our guy, boys, nine and seven, Deirdre, they're, if I see another uh, Poland Springs bottle uh, that has to perf be perfectly flip, uh, la perfect landing in my uh, in my living room, um, so I know we're we're um, there's so much more to cover uh, with your story and, and your background, your your um, and your and your career. Um, just wanted to kind of wrap on on kind of barstool. Any. Um, Anything you'd like to share as relates to where the business is going, the size and scale, obviously a huge stake was was uh, uh, um, 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 accomplished in the business, uh, most you know, for $450 million. Anything in regards to the Barstool's business or enterprise that we didn't talk about that you'd like to share, scope, size, things that our viewers don't know that you think could be interesting? Yeah, I think there's a lot of growth still to come from Barstool. Um, you know, the recent um, investment from Penn um, you know, would lead you to believe that uh, sports betting is going to become a major, major driving force of our business, not just from a content perspective and, and a partner's perspective, but from an actual core business perspective. So uh, we'll be launching, um, you know, a, a sportsbook app and 
uh, will be out there competing for mobile sports betting dollars in all the states where that is legalized, uh, which is just a massive business. It, it's it's materially uh, big for us uh, as that gets off off the ground and going. And once sports comes back to the world, people are going to be more engaged than ever, not only in sports but betting on sports. And it's going to reach more casual fans than it ever has before. So that's a huge, exciting. Uh, step for us to be taking. The other thing that comes with that is, you know, Penn has access to 41 casinos in 19 different states, I believe. So suddenly there's a physical outlet for Barstool Sports to have a presence. Um, so you can envision Barstool Sports books being, the, the, the sports books in those casinos being branded Barstool Sports book or even having Barstool Sports bars. And that's I'm all still- like a, I'm getting like an Amazon Whole Foods acquisition uh, and, and <laughs> in value there in my head right now. Yeah, so it's super, super exciting, and it's all just in its early stages, but uh, there's a lot of strategic thinking going on, and in a way, with a little bit of downtime right now, maybe there's some uh, you know, opportunity to plan those things out really clearly. Um, the other stuff that you know I think we can be doing a lot more of is uh, more collaborations with brands like what we did with New Amsterdam and the Pink Whitney, so I'm actively looking at what are the partners that we work with um, that have... Um, product and distribution chains that we'd like to get access to to put our brand into other retail channels, whether that be grocery for, imagine a one by pizza, next time you're walking down the aisle, would you pick up that or would you pick up the other frozen pizza that's there? So um, licensing, uh, brand extensions through partnerships um, are going to be big focuses for us in addition to just continuing to grow the media and advertising business and e-commerce business. Um, Great. So, by the way, when I when I met Erica, she was running brand sponsorships for Yahoo. So there's like nothing worse than having a boss who had your job before you uh, or or, or maybe or maybe there's nothing greater because, you know, you can collaborate. I actually think it's one of the things that attracted me to working with Erica was that I knew that she knows the plate of the media sales executive. She knows the plate of like the account manager. She knows it in, in and out. And, yeah. uh, you know, in, in high times, which, you know, we're in still, but like as we've been building this business and I've been scaling the team so rapidly, you know, when I go with a, a business case for what I need in terms of resources, you know, it's not, I don't, I don't get met with a lot of opposition there. Um, yeah. I, you know, I think I've earned the trust, but I also think Erica inherently knows what we need to do to be successful um, in scaling the business from an advertising standpoint. Yeah. Um, she's also great with advertisers. So she's great in the room talking to them. She knows what they care about. Uh, so when we, we, we need to bring her into certain conversations, it's a seamless, you know, conversation to have. Um, and, you know, when times are challenging like they are right now and we're pivoting to, you know, moving fast and furiously into some of our quote unquote quarantine content and there's challenges operationally to doing that or convincing the advertisers that while they bought one thing, we need them to focus their energy and, and investment in something totally different than that. Um, she understands the, the operational lift that that is yeah. creating for my team and the amount of work. And I actually had a happy hour last week uh, via Zoom uh, with my whole team and asked her to join and just come in and like, hey, come have a drink with me and my team because we, we could really use that right now. And she was great about that. And you know we're gonna do that this week with the account managers who are some of the hardest working people in our company right now because yeah. every campaign that was booked is changing right now. And it's <clears throat> there's definitely been, there's a lot of money going on the sidelines for the time being. There's a lot of new money coming in. 
and basically every line item of every campaign that's in our system has to be changed and changed out right now. So while people yeah, are working really hard and they're really busy and they're for, we're fortunate to work in an industry that's not completely shut down right now, um, you know, it's definitely just like a totally unexpected time and a lot of work to do. Deirdre, amen to uh, uh, to leadership and to, to executives that are willing to go into the front line. We had Michael Katz from MParticle on the other day, same same uh, thought process to to spend time with clients. And and I think you guys have a unique uh, unique opportunity to to right now during this very challenging time to continue to offer great content and media. It's what people need right now. They need distractions. They need laughs more than ever. Um, so while you may not be curing cancer, um, I think there are, there's, there's some really interesting things and I'm not just saying that, that I think Barstool is doing. One thing I want to, I know we're going to wrap up now to, 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 cause we talked a lot about Deirdre's, um, um, the business side of Deirdre. I get to see Deirdre on the, uh, on the weekends at six, seven in the morning. Um, <laughs> hockey mom, um, always at the hockey rink, always at sporting events. And it's really cool to see. The mom side, um, you being a great mom with two two boys um, as well. I just wanted to call that out, and a great husband too. And hopefully, we'll run into you guys at more Bruins games once uh, the season gets back. Um, so we're gonna kind of we're gonna wrap this up. Um, um, covered a lot, and really great story, Deirdre. And so thankful that you could join the Superpowers podcast. I'm gonna pass it on to Bill to to kind of take the initial kickoff to 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 uh, to what your superpower. Yeah, so uh, so it, it's interesting. Uh, so Deirdre and I don't uh, really know each other, um, so it was great meeting you. Um, and I look forward to. I have a house in Larchmont, so I'm right down the oh, road. Wow. Bill, yeah. you're kind of like to me. You're sort of like the way Erica Nardini was. Like we've crossed paths, and I've known your name for years, and somehow we just never yeah. connected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so superpowers brings people together as well. Um, so so listen, it is incredibly difficult for women to get into executive roles. It is incredibly difficult for women to get into senior roles at sport companies. Um, we have a guest here today who has done both. She is now an executive at a high flying brand in the sports universe uh, and entertainment universe and, and, and soon to be betting universe. Um, it is, I, I, what I love about your story is you had this kind of like, passion determination i'm gonna call it i'm making shit up um you know where you were offered you know kind of that high six-figure tv sales role and you were like no i like what we're doing here you know uh, off to the side with this little dot-com um, side of the business um you always went to underdogs it seems like um like that passion let your passion was so um ha had such conviction that you went to rivals like who wants to cover high school sports and like like you know you know before rivals uh college and high school sporting uh you know was not what it is today and so you know and then you know going to whistle sports like and now barstool right i think in 2017 barstool was not the brand it is today right it was either just getting the investment from churnin or or just about to so you know, I, I feel like you have this confidence around your passion um, and you never let any of the things on the side, like people go, oh, how was it being a woman in sports? And you were like, I don't know. I just did my job and things came. And it's like, 
uh, you know, you took a couple years off to support your family and your husband and live abroad and have a great experience, have another child. You know, it's like, hey, um, how is it coming back? I don't know. I just called my friends over at Major League Baseball and, you know, they hooked me up with a bunch of people and I got a job. And so, you know, I think you having such confidence in your passion um, and everything else just se seemingly came easy to you. Um, and the decisions you made as I look through, you know, kind of your resume and the companies you went to almost don't make sense. You know, it's like, why would you leave, you know, this major, you know, why, why would anyone leave like a, a, a big sports, uh, you know, one of the big three to go to a startup? You know, why would anyone leave Yahoo to go here? And so, um, so it, it's, I, I, I think it's that confidence you've had um, following your passion that is your superpower. Chris? I would just, I would just uh, roll into that two things. I think you, you're, you parlayed a, your interest. You knew that you were going to be in sports early. You stayed in sports. I think you parlayed that very wisely, whether you knew it was going to end up being in this kind of position of barstool. But the other thing you said earlier, Deirdre, that I'm, I'm going to pick up on as your, as your superpower um, is you seem to do a lot of diligence and you pick up the breadcrumbs around influencers and connectors and where things are going through your, through your diligence or what you read or what you see or who you talk to. Uh, I can't recall many of our shows where someone sort of mentioned that they were hearing this or they observed that or they saw media was going there. So I think your superpower along with, with Bill's summary is, is, is you, whether you realize it or not, sports was something that you knew was going to take you somewhere, you enjoyed it, but you also were very astute uh, as far as picking up where the trends were going to be. And I don't think that many people think or do that level of, of sort of diligence when they think about their next role. Maybe it's the paycheck or maybe it's another priority. But uh, I, think, I, I think that's what your superpower is, is that you, you are very, I'm going to go back to, the, to, to hockey. You're very good at understanding where the puck is going to be. So, so can we can we agree just to summarize up because I'm always a little too more verbose. Um, so, diligently passionate is a way to yeah. kind of summarize up the two. We can we can definitely end the show on diligently passionate. Absolutely. <laughs> well, this is very flattering, guys. It's uh, it's nice to uh, get these compliments from you. I really appreciate it. Deirdre, it was so great having you on. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, no, th thank you so much for coming on the show um, and, and good luck uh, for, for uh, navigating uh, this, this time. And we wish we could have been doing this in person. And, and uh, this is the, these are the cards that we've been dealt. So thank you for taking the time and, and um, very, uh, very grateful for that and, and look forward to seeing everything that you do next and probably bump into you in town sooner than later. Yeah, thanks. You know, a lot of people are saying this is going to change the way we do things, but I think people can't wait to get back together. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. This has been a great Superpowers podcast. Thank you so much. And we will see you next time. Awesome, guys. Stay safe out there. Bye-bye. Bye. Superpowers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.